She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Economists are forecasting wages rising 3.2% in May from a year earlier, in line with recent gains. In April, job growth surged with a staggering 263,000 jobs added for the month, far surpassing expectations and marking the 119th straight month of gains. I think success should unite the country, but I will tell you, the more successful we become, the more angry people like Nancy Pelosi, who don't have what it takes, they, they don't know what's going on, they get angry. And now, Stacey Washington. <laughs> I love it when the president takes failures to task. There's nothing better than that. So you know what? Um, yeah, I got to say, he's right about that and so much more. Today on the show, we're going to be chatting with Elaine Parker. She's the chief communications officer for the Job Creators Network. She's going to come on and talk to us about, you guessed it, jobs, jobs, jobs. And that is one thing the president has been excellent on And we're really excited to see the new jobs report come out and to kind of unpack some of these numbers and dire predictions. Um, Of course, nothing is ever completely rosy, but it's not doom and gloom. We have a lot of things to be really happy about. We're also going to jump into a little Friday chitter chatter with news rundowns talking about this place that's opened up. It's the second one of its kind in the country. It's called a rage room. A rage room where you go in and they have old cars and dishes and plates and glasses and stuff and you suit up in a little outfit and then they give you a crowbar, different sized bats and even a piece of wood that's especially good for smashing things. And then you just go in there and you pay for sessions and you can smash stuff. We're going to talk about, is that is that a good development? Is that bad? Is it stupid? What is it? We're going to chat about that. And then right now, this segment, we are going to... We're going to hear from a young girl, 13 years old. I mean, just the tiniest little slip of a girl. And she goes into her local city council meeting with prepared remarks, remarks that she wrote herself. And she tore that room from the top to the bottom. She ripped that room up and she made adults scream at her. She made adults lose not just their composure, but their ever loving minds. And I got to tell you, if I'd been there, I would have given her a standing ovation And I would have wanted to shake her parents' hands because with that kind of fire coming out of her at 13, we can only wonder, we can only hope to be around to get to see the the sparks and fireworks that she's going to emit as she continues to grow and mature and become even more eloquent, uh, uh, talking about issues that impact every single American. So we'll get to her in just a minute. But right now, we got to get into the encouragement. Um, So what do you do when God says no? I actually looked this up because I've gotten a few no's this week. In fact, I I mean, it feels like the reverberation of doors slamming right in my face. And so rather than waiting until this is over to talk to you about it, no, I'm going to I'm going to share what I'm actually walking through right now and what God's word says about it because this is part of the reason why we're here to encourage each other. We're the body of Christ and when we have struggles instead of going through them alone, we should say, you know what? I need some prayer. I'm discouraged. I need you to come alongside me. I want to come alongside you. And I know I'm not the only person who's going through this. So I found some information online. When God says no, reasons for unanswered prayers. Now, this is a list of reasons why God might be saying no. And this this is the kind of stuff we need to hear because as adults, we've kind of tricked ourselves into thinking that 
no one's ever going to say no to us, that we're not going to hear no, because no is something that adults say to kids. But the fact is, as adults, we walk through this world hearing the word no a lot. And sometimes it's no thank you. Sometimes it's no, that's not possible for you right now. And other times it's the screaming no in your face that you're really wondering, why do I feel your spittle on my face? Why is this happening to me? What have I done to deserve this? And so the best thing to do is to go to God's word. So the first thing on this list, which is, it's a fantastic list over at Bible.org. It says sin in our lives. So if we have sin in our lives, we can pray for something. And what will happen is we'll get a no. So the answer is to confess and repent. The psalmist wrote, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And this is Psalm 66, 18. So it's not that God can't hear it. It's not that your prayers are going up to this, you know, ceiling and hitting the, and hitting and come, coming back down. But he is omniscient, meaning he heard it. He knows everything that's going on, but he maintains his distance when we allow sin to be a wall between us. So it's on us. We're the ones who are sinning. Major disobedience sets us up for long-term unanswered prayer. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, and the Lord will not answer you in that day. And that's 1 Samuel 8, 18. So if we have sin in our lives, we have to repent and turn away from it. A loving God is in control. So this is for our own benefit because he can't lie. He can't reward us when we're in sin. The second reason might be to say yes would bring us harm that we cannot see. So B.M. Palmer in The Theology of Prayer tells of a woman who had spent the summer away from her children and was quite anxious to get back to them. When she learned that all the rooms on a certain steamer were taken, she wept bitterly because she couldn't get a passage on any other ship. And so that meant she had to stay in New York City for two more weeks. But the sorrow of being delayed was turned into Thanksgiving when, within a few days, she learned that the vessel that denied her passage was buried at the bottom of the Atlantic. She didn't see the no as a wonderful answer to prayer until the entire story unfolded. So sometimes when God says no, it's really, that's not safe for you, or that would bring more harm to you than good, or that derails my plan for your life, or that derails other prayers you've you've prayed to me and asked me to answer this one in particular will ruin all of that. So again, a loving God is in control. Another reason for a no in in our prayer walk, God has something far greater in store for us. Now we never consider this. We always think that the thing that we're praying for is the greatest thing, but we don't have God's foresight and ability to see around every corner and know everything at the same time and every eventuality. So this is actually a very logical conclusion, but it doesn't feel like that when you've got the no. If the no is in your face, you probably don't want to hear God has something far greater in store for you. So Mary and Martha wanted Jesus to heal Lazarus, but Jesus had resurrection in mind. We ask for health, but often sickness and suffering is something less than wealth is the best way to produce holiness and maturity in us. So in this uh, piece here, the author talks about their premature daughter, Becky, who only lived nine days and discusses her knowledge that God's plan was for them to grow plus engage in full lives of ministry. Taking care of a severely disabled child would have severely restricted them. And then later they had two active boys, um, you know, after they lost their daughter, they'll never know the complete uh, answer or explanation for that until the, you know, until glory, until they're on the other side, but that's how they're choosing to see it. And that is how we have to choose to see it because God is in control and he loves us. Another reason for non-answered prayer. So we're praying at cross purposes with other believers. So the example given here is two Christians on opposing teams praying for their team to win. 
or two Christians applying for the same job or to get their child into the same preschool spot. God must say no to one and yes to the other. But again, it doesn't mean someone has to lose. Yes, one of the teams will lose. That's a sporting event. But in the preschool spot, that's one where God can answer prayer for both. It just might not be the prayer answered in the way that both families actually saw it happening in their own minds. Um, Another reason for unanswered prayer, we pray for things where a yes is impossible, that a child be found alive when they've already been murdered, praying for lost things that are not found. Um, You know, these are difficult situations and there's no way to, you know, to smooth over the feelings of someone who's lost a child um, and or to know why that that actually happened instead of another result. But God is still in control and he still loves us, even in those low circumstances. Um, sometimes we're praying for things that are already determined, praying for a boy and a girl is already in there or praying for salvation for someone who, you know, we, we don't know it, but that person's already passed away. Um that's another reason for unanswered prayer. Perhaps we're getting discouraged in prayer by thinking God has said no, when in fact, God has not answered. He's basically saying to wait. He said nothing. Wait is an answer. Delay is not a denial. God will often delay his answer to cultivate patience and persistence and to build our faith or to bring our will around to conform to his own. And this is one where, you know, full disclosure, I struggle with this. I have a very strong will. I have a very clear defined thought process on how I think things should go. And I always think I'm in control. And that is just not true. I'm not in control. I can't plan things out perfectly. In fact, I'm not really that great at it. And when God is trying to bring my will around to his own, it's like pulling a donkey uphill in a snowstorm with no jacket. And so I'm getting a no. I'm not to become discouraged. That is not the answer. The answer is for me to cultivate patience, continue to dive into God's word and to persist in doing well, not becoming weary and doing good because in due time I will reap. And I have to have the knowledge knowing that all of this activity will build my faith and will create a testimony that will help and encourage other believers. Walking this thing out right here with you on the radio, live radio, good Friday radio, good news radio. So God's no possibly could be not a rejection, but a redirection. Close a door, open a window. God's no to one thing is a yes to another. These are things that people say to you. And when you hear them, you don't want to hear that. It sounds like they're, you know, giving you a pat phrase and, you know, saying, okay, there you go. Here's a phrase for you. Now, you know, get out of here. It's the truth. Second Samuel seven says, God said no to David's desire to build a temple. You know, That was one where when we studied that in Bible study, I really felt horrible for the way that David must have felt when he learned that God didn't want him to build a temple because he had a pure motive in his heart to build it. He wanted to build it to glorify God. He wanted to build it as a symbol of his love for his God. But because he was a man of war, it wasn't his job to do it. And so in some ways, something that he was very successful at, being a warrior, was the reason that something that he truly desired in his heart would never come to pass for him. Now, it was a wonderful honor for him to be the father of Solomon, who would indeed do that, but it had to have been a devastating 
time for him to learn that God didn't want him to build a temple. And for something that he had a pure motive and was pure of heart on, it had to be a real struggle for him. But he did not give up. He didn't turn away from God. He didn't forgive the, the for, forget the faith or, or forsake being a believer. He simply yielded to God's will and Solomon built the temple. So that is a fantastic example for us when we're in the no zone. God's no isn't a punishment. Perhaps it's preparation. Romans 5 verse 2 through 5 says, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts and by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. God is preparing us to be his son's bride. We will reign with him and we must be made into a bride worthy of our position. Because of this, he will develop in us perseverance, character, and hope as we trust him in prayer. Prayer and spiritual warfare is his means of preparing us for the bridehood. So our pastor uh, has a little phrase. He says, this is how we fight our battles. It's even something he's created into a little, it's like a song that we sing sometimes at church, especially in, in the afternoons when we have uh, prayer at the, the sanctuary where it's just two hours of prayer. Sometimes it'll just be us singing, this is how I fight my battles. And it is how we fight our battles. Our battles are not with the people that are annoying us here, the snowflakes, the people who are driving us nuts. So our battles are in the heavenlies And we have to be ready for spiritual warfare, which means we have to be ready to pray, which means we have to be in our word. We have to be studying. We have to be knowing what God's word says and why he says it. And we have to use it to encourage ourselves and build ourselves up because that's what it's there for. God's no will sometimes bring greater glory to God. 11, God's no opens the door to an adventure with God. And in that one, it says Second Kings 2.11, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. So the adventure that God has for us may lie beyond the no. I am holding on to that in the valley of no. I hope that's encouraging to you. We will be back with our first guest of the program today. Um, So excited to speak to Elaine Parker, Chief Communications Officer at the Job Creators Network in just a minute. Stay right there. Eighty percent of the time, an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life. Here's the story of Candace. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. There are currently preborn centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today? Dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. 
Your love can save a life. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I don't know about you, but time and experience have taught me not to believe at first glance what I read in the newspapers or see on the news. For example, during the 1996 Olympics, a bomb went off in Centennial Olympic Park there in Atlanta. It was awful. Within days, they had arrested a suspect, and quickly the news media said that the bomber had been caught. Well, they were wrong. The man, in fact, was innocent. The witnesses had given a false report. You see, we need to be very careful about relaying events or situations. We need to ask ourselves, is this really so? I mean, is this really true? Is this really what happened? If we don't know something to be true, or false for that matter, then it's best to keep quiet. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 have some very strong words to say about false witnesses. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, now listen to this line, and a false witness who utters lies. The Bible says that God hates false witnesses who utter lies. I think the positive way of stating this is that God loves the truth and the truth speaker. Those who utter the truth, those who say what really happened, and don't add to it, don't take away from it, but speak the pure truth. God is truth. Make it your ambition not to be a false witness, either intentionally or unintentionally. Here's what I want you to remember today. When in doubt, be quiet. The lives and reputations of others have been destroyed by speculation taken as fact. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Head on over to AFR.net, urbanfamilytalk.com, or delight yourself in the news over at onenewsnow.com. You can also find out more about me at stacyontheright.com. It's my pleasure to welcome Elaine Parker, Chief Communications Officer at the Job Creators Network. Elaine, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Stacey. Thanks for having me. So I'm excited to speak with to you because I'm reading your release. You have this fantastic, it's like a little bit of good news. Um, you're highlighting the labor shortage and calling on the Federal Reserve to cut interest rates. Specifically, the U.S. Department of Labor announcing that 75,000 jobs were created in May with the unemployment rate holding steady at 3.6%. What is it that you're looking to happen here? Absolutely. So uh, this morning, the jobs report came out at 75,000 jobs being added, and it was obviously below expectations and certainly lower than um, the previous month. But it, it's really not a surprise because we have a record-breaking um, number of jobs that are available, 7.6 million jobs. There's only 5.8 million people out there. So we really have an issue of a labor shortage. You know, you can ask a lot of questions of employers, you know, is it that you didn't have jobs to fill or is that you have jobs to fill and you're not finding the qualified people? It's tough to argue that we have uh, like a sick economy right now when we've had record uh, GDP for first quarter and we still have the lowest unemployment rate for the past half century. And all of the demographics across the board, whether it's women, um, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, veterans, uh, the disabled are still all at record low unemployment rates. Um, so we have to look a little bit deeper into these numbers 
And when you do, you find that we've got jobs, but we've got to find the people to fill them. So uh, where where would we get them? Because on this program, because we cover everything, all of the news, we often talk about immigration and the huge problem we have at the southern border with illegal aliens coming in. But that's kind of unskilled labor that we're talking about at the southern border. You're talking about skilled labor, I'm assuming. The jobs that are open, are, are they mostly retail entry level? Or are we talking about, you know, a little bit more experienced workers that are needed? Well, we actually saw a decrease in the retail industry on, on jobs, and we saw uh, the biggest growth in healthcare um, in the jobs area. But construction continues to be an area um, where there's tremendous need for skilled labor. Um, I actually read an article earlier this week that there's about 60,000 electrician jobs out there. Um, so if you're looking to become an electrician, there's definitely a job waiting for you. Okay, so, but again, because this is one of those things that kind of drives me a little nutso. Electrician jobs, that's in the trades. Right now, K-12 through education in America is really laser-focused on telling every child that they are college material and that they should not go into the trades. They should go into um, a degree field, so something that takes a four-year degree. But the fact is, not every child is cut out for a four-year educational experience beyond high school. And a lot of these kids would be so relieved to hear that they could go into um, electrician apprenticeship and earn quite a bit of money right away because there are so many openings and that it wouldn't be something that would be looked down upon because at some point they could become, you know, entrepreneurs and own their own businesses that way. Absolutely. Um, You know, we uh, at the Job Creators Network, we have uh, a campaign called the Fight for 50, um, and which is contrary to the Fight for 15, which I believe has just become irrelevant because we're seeing higher and higher starting wages with most companies. But the fight for 50 is the idea of we have a skills gap, not a wage gap. Um, We don't need wage mandates. We need skills training, and we need to identify those people out there. We need to do that through um, apprenticeships. Um, I know that the administration has been working very hard um, with uh, Ivanka Trump leading that on apprenticeship training and working with companies um, to make – uh, promises and and for more skills training because the people are out there, the jobs are out there, but we need to match the right people to the right jobs. Um, and that's been our biggest problem in this economy. If you had to identify one problem, it's that we have a skills gap out there and we need to fix it because there's a lot of jobs out there. And it certainly shows, regardless of the number today at 75,000, it certainly shows that we continue to have job growth. Um, but we, there's always room for improvement and there's room for more job growth. So, and, and I, I totally agree with that. And I'm, I'm so happy to have you on today. Um, your analysis is exactly what we need to hear from to be able to kind of talk about this when we're, you know, at our kitchen table or maybe with a coworker who says, oh, we only created 75,000 jobs. We still created 75,000 jobs. I hate the word only in front of job creation, um, regardless of who's in the White House. Anytime we create jobs, it's better than not creating them. But after the record run we've had, a month in which we have 75,000 jobs created, it's, it's more about filling the ones that are already there. And in your release, you talk a little bit about your call to cut interest rates by at least a quarter percent, if not even a half a percent in their next policy meeting in a few weeks. Now, why are you asking for that? Absolutely. Well, we certainly um, have been advocating since last year uh, for the Fed to cut rates We believe that the Fed was very aggressive in the rate increases 
and it certainly um, had an impact on not only the stock market, um, but we we certainly saw a, a bit of a slowdown there. And um, we thought that it was excessive based on um, inflation rates. They're certainly at um, the goal uh, at or below at the goal of what the Fed wants for inflation, and it hasn't risen above there at all. And yet the Fed was very aggressive in rate increases last year. And so we've been advocating for a rate cut. Um, I've seen reports that there's certainly an indication that they are considering it and they're meeting in the next few weeks. So we'll continue advocating for that rate cut for at least a quarter, but I'd love to see a half point. So in in addition to that, because I think whenever I hear that, <laughs> I immediately think about mortgage interest rates. If they cut this rate and, and you know, if they follow your, your request, Will that actually impact borrowing rates for people who are looking to purchase a new car or a home or refinance a home? It certainly could. I mean, um, I've I've seen the mortgage rates um, going down recently. We'll have to just wait and see um, how that impacts um, the mortgage rate and borrowing in general. But um, again, we just think that the Fed was just too aggressive on um, the rate increases. You know, the good news out of all of this um, even if we've seen even this month with the jobs um, numbers being a little lower, is that we continue to see wage increases. And when you look specifically where we're seeing them, we're seeing them in middle class jobs, blue collar jobs. They are outpacing um, uh, white collar jobs, um, which is fantastic for the middle class. And even those um, blue collar jobs that don't require college degrees, as we were just discussing. That's where the wage increases are happening most, and we're seeing um, the fastest wage growth we've seen in a decade. So, yes, are we, did we see a lower uh, jobs number this month? Yes. It's, it's, we could call it a blip on the radar right now because it's one month. It doesn't um, create a trend by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but we do need to address that labor shortage for sure. So, and, and I'm, I'm still on your release here, um, looking at – different sectors, you describe the number of retail jobs going down in May, but there being a growth in the number of warehousing jobs, which is a positive shift in the jobs mix as those jobs pay a little bit more. Um, So how can we look for, or, you know, what kind of policy would enable us to have an increase in that number from 75,000 and and in a positive direction, um, having a better mix of job creation for the next month and months going forward? Well, aside from the labor shortage, um, you know, to continue to see job growth, and we, and and again, we are continuing to see job growth. Um, but to continue creating jobs, we need to continue um, pro-growth policies that we've seen for the last two years of this administration. Um, you know, when we look at the the stimulation to the economy that we had as a result of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act last year, you know, it was record earnings being announced. We also had um, uh, job growth. We also had um, millions of employees get wage increases and bonuses as a result. Um, We represent small business owners, what we call Main Street small business owners. And our members told us all over the country that they were expanding their their facilities. They were hiring new people. They were giving uh, wage increases. We even have a, a, um, a member in rural Pennsylvania, Somerset, Pennsylvania. Um, he did all of those things, hired 29 people, and for the first time since he opened his business, he was able to start a 401k retirement plan for his employees. 
And what's significant about that is he's in a rural part of Pennsylvania, and um, keeping the youth there is very important to the town and the economy. And so it's providing those types of benefits is what's going to keep the youth in that town. Wow. So that's pretty amazing because one of the things that we've seen is a lot of rural towns and smaller towns kind of stripped of their most valuable resource, which is the young people who've graduated from high school or who've gone on to college and then they don't return, which means they have an aging town and the tax base begins to deteriorate. So that is a fascinating development that I'm sure a lot of cities and towns are thinking, what what can we do to draw back these young people and keep our town vital and growing. And really the, the lifestyle and atmosphere, lower cost of living, slower pace of life, um, and, and the community aspect, which is so lacking right now in some, in some of our major cities, um, that, that is a really fascinating connection that you just outlined there. Absolutely. I mean, nothing bad comes from having a good paying job that raises your standard of living. Um, it allows you to obviously provide for your family, but it raises the community standard of living when people have good jobs and they're contributing to the economy. And so when I hear a story like that from one of our members, I mean, I just think it's fantastic. Uh, we have another member in northern Illinois, a manufacturer, and she was able to give wages, wage increases to all of her employees. She also purchased a half a million dollar piece of equipment that she hi- had to hire three to four people to run. Um, and what's significant about that is as a result of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, she was able, able to immediately expense that half a million dollar um, equipment instead of depreciating over such a long period of time. Um, and then lastly, it's something she's very proud of, is she is now paying, was able to pay 100% of her employees' health insurance. So they don't pay anything for their health insurance. I mean, you just don't hear that anymore because health insurance is so expensive. And now to attract new employees, that's the kind of benefits that she's offering. Wow. (laughs) Okay, so this is exactly what people need to hear to kind of spur on the kind of activity that you're describing. And I think it just can't be stressed enough that you said a few moments ago that a good paying job is a real game changer for not just an individual, but especially for families it enables and opens the doors for so many other opportunities in a life. Um, and, and we have to connect that up to a good economy and good leadership in Washington, D.C., but also a myriad of other factors that are going on, kind of playing together all over the country and in these towns where people are making decisions that really impact the lives of hundreds, if not thousands of other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, this economy, we are growing um, jobs. We have seen job growth month after month. Um, we are we did see a, um, a lower number this month. We think that uh, the labor shortage has a huge reason to do with that, uh, and that problem needs to be addressed for sure. Um, but we need to continue the pro-growth policies that we've seen, like the deregulation, like the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. We need to make those tax cuts permanent for the middle class um, and for small business. All of those things and, and continued um, path like that will continue this growth for this country and for the American people. Fantastic. Well, as always, I always feel like, you know, when I have people on from the Job Creators Network, it's it's such an information bonanza. 
and we always great, get great listener response back from it. And a special treat to have you here on a Friday, Jobs Day, <laughs> uh, to talk with us and, and really kind of give us a primer on everything that's going on with the economy and especially the new jobs numbers that are out. Elaine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Stacey. And if your listeners want to check us out, they can go to jobcreatorsnetwork.com. Fantastic. Jobcreatorsnetwork.com. Um, Elaine Parker, Chief Communications Officer for Job Creators Network. Thanks for joining us today and have a great weekend. Thanks, Stacey. All right. So we have a lot more for you and we are really close to the break here. Um, we're going to talk about Atlanta turning seven areas, uh, seven acres of vacant land into the largest free food forest in the country. This is one of the best Good News Friday stories I've seen in a long time because the impact of this action is going to be something that reverberates through Atlanta. They have, currently have 30 acres, I think, or 30 square miles of of um, of vacant areas and areas where they're considered to be food deserts, where people have to go more than a half a mile to buy fresh produce. And so this is going to make such a difference in the lives of the people who live near there. So, um, and we're also going to talk about the rage room that I mentioned before. Uh, And again, rage room, we really need to have the opportunity to smash things and and turn things into uh, mincemeat in order to get our frustrations out. I think there are other avenues by which we can um, satisfy our need to kind of protect our feelings or make ourselves feel better. In the last couple of minutes of this segment, I want to cover what's actually being negotiated between the U.S. and Mexico. As you've heard, delegates from the nation state of Mexico, officials from their government, have come to the United States to try to negotiate with the Trump administration to prevent tariffs from going into effect in just three short days. So President Trump is actually announced via Twitter that he will push forward with the tariffs no matter um, what they're negotiating until they come to a, a concrete deal. So here's what they're actually talking about. And this is according to the Washington Post. The, Mex- the Mexican officials have pledged to deploy up to 6,000 National Guard troops to the country's border region with Guatemala. They say this is a show of force that will make immediate reductions in the number of Central Americans heading north. The Mexican official and U.S. official said the countries are negotiating a sweeping plan to overhaul asylum rules across the region that would require Central Americans to seek refuge in the first foreign country they set foot on after fleeing their homeland. Now, in such a plan, the United States would swiftly deport Guatemalan asylum seekers who set foot on U.S. soil to Mexico. The United States would send Honduran and Salvadoran asylum applicants to Guatemala Um, which they sent one of their government people to our country to discuss that last week. And um, 6,000 troops does actually sound like a good move. We're talking about, in the month of May, 144,000 arrests along the southern border, which is the highest level in 13 years. Something has to give here. We'll see what they actually come up with. Be right back. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Marriage is like playing football. From the opening kickoff, you start off with adrenaline, but by the end of the game, you're exhausted. Marriage is the same way. You begin your first few years of life together with excitement. Then, years later, you realize you don't have enough adrenaline to keep your marriage at that intense level that you first began with. Marriages go through stages. What's important is to let your spouse know that you are committed to them for life and that you love them more than anyone else in the world. 
you should also lean on Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and tell God your needs. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. This week during our uh, family worship time together, uh, when we turned to the scripture, I was sharing with my family and we were discussing the scripture that says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And I was explaining the whole caterpillar to cocoon to butterfly process. My son said, he's six years old, daddy, daddy, I get it. it it's it's we're, the, we're like the caterpillars. God provides the cocoon and God's desire all along is even though we're in caterpillar form, is for us to become butterflies. And then look what he said. But you know when we get into trouble, Daddy? When we try to move from caterpillar to butterfly and we skip over God. And when you try to skip over God, you think you have your wings, but you fall flat. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. And I have to tell you, I had to fight back tears in the moment because you say, oh Lord, he, he's getting this. This is Poll Paree with Fox News Director of Polling, Dana Blanton. President Trump owns the economy. Here's what I mean. In our Fox News poll, when voters say off the top of their head who is most responsible for the current economy, it's the president. That holds true no matter how people feel about the economy. Among those with a positive view, the largest share, 44%, give credit to President Trump and Republicans. That's about three times as many as credit former President Obama and Democrats. And among those who rate the economy negatively, the president gets twice as much blame as Obama. President Trump enjoys owning the economy, and a growing number of voters feel the economy is strong. 33% said it was in excellent or good condition before he took office, That number's up 14 points. Now 47% rate the economy positively. In the last 18 years, that number's only been higher twice, both times under the Trump administration. I'm Dana Blanton, and that's your Potpourri. Welcome back to Stacey on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, tariffs would, would, would be tough on the economy, but the border is broken, it needs to be fixed. And if tariffs is what it takes to get Mexico to do better on their side of the border, I'm all for tariffs. Trump's not the problem. Mexico's the problem. Republicans are not the problem. Democrats won't vote to change the laws. Now, why do we have a million people coming here from Central America? They know that if you read a card claiming asylum, you're entitled to a hearing. It takes three or four years to get a hearing. We don't have enough bed space, so we let you go. So all you got to do is claim asylum. I got a bill that says you have to claim asylum in your home country, Mexico. No longer can you claim asylum here. We ship you back if you try to claim asylum on our soil. And if you bring a small child with you, we can't send that child back. We're going to change that law. 90% of this will stop. But Mexico provides buses to these people. Mexico is doing better, but I'm not blaming President Trump here. I'm blaming the Congress because we can't do our job, and I'm blaming Mexico. Wow, that was Senator Lindsey Graham, and he's explaining some things that are so common sense, it's kind of hard for me to fathom why they need to be explained. We should not be the repository of every child from south of this country's border. It's just not our job. We're not running a babysitting service or a a huge orphanage. We're running a country. This is actually our home, and we have every right to make decisions about who gets to live here. 
Uh, so that was a kind of rolling out of last segment. We were covering the negotiations between Mexico and the United States. Um, so, it, you know, any more details here? Um, if the president is able to get some kind of, you know, deal with Mexico and staunch this flow of illegal aliens into the country, it will be fantastic, not just for him to run on, but more specifically and more more like down to earth in this moment, it's really important for us. We're seeing typhus and all kinds of other measles, diseases that were once eradicated that these people are bringing in. And God bless them. They come from countries where vaccinating is not the thing to, to do like it is here. And so they're coming in, they have these diseases, and they're bringing them back to our country where these things have been eradicated. So look, I, we have a problem and it's at the southern border and we need to do something about it. Uh, so right now I want to switch over. I teased this story in the first segment about this young girl causing pandemonium at a city meeting when she says abortion is murder and compares it to slavery. Um, you got to listen to this. And again, this girl is 13 years old and the people in the room, they did not see her coming. Here we go. My name is Addison Woosley. I strongly believe that abortion is murder. I also believe murder is wrong. So I'm here to ask you to make abortion illegal in Raleigh. Abortion should be illegal because it's murder. The definition of murder is the killing of one human being by another without justification and often with attended malice. When mothers choose to slaughter their innocent babies, they already have fingerprints, noses, they can recognize their mom's voice, they can hiccup and their heart is beating. There's no way around it. Abortion is murder. So why is it? If an infant is destroyed before birth, there's no problem. But if killed after birth, it's considered a brutal murder. Abortion reminds me of slavery. Owners said that their slaves were their property and they could do whatever they wanted with them. Just how moms say about their babies. My hope is that in a few years, we'll look back at abortion and think, that was so cruel, I can't believe we did that. Just how we all look back at slavery. The question is, who will you be? The slave owner, the man nailing the whites only side on the water fountain, Rosa Parks, or Abraham Lincoln? Who are you going to be? Make a choice. Are you choosing to be like the plantation worker flogging the little black child? Or are you going to protest even if it costs your life like Martin Luther King Jr.? Who are you going to be? If you think abortion should if you think abortion should be illegal, would you please stand up? We need to change the law to change the order, 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 order. If you think abortion should be illegal, would you please stand up? We need to change the law to change the world. So let's stand up and do it. Thank you. Order, order. And then after that, she walks away from the podium, and some black people in the back stand up and start screaming at her and her mother. And I didn't, I, you know, we don't need to listen to that. And you can definitely check the video out. I, I threw it up on the Facebook page um, you, and also on my Twitter feed. But what what you heard there is she she was getting shouted down and she kept going. She she waited and then kept going. She had to get her message out. And if that 13 year old girl has the courage to do it, where are we? I am so exhausted by this idea that grown-ups with mortgages and $70,000 cars are driving around and living their lives scared to tell the truth about what they believe about human life. We've been through this before. She made the points, and I'm just going to reiterate them. Once upon a time, my ancestors were owned as property like chairs and cows and horses by people who felt that they were less than human. 
And now I'm sitting here out in the suburbs with my own car and my own mortgage and my own husband and my own, uh, the ability to determine my life's direction. Because at some point in the history of this country, we all came together and said, you know what? Those people are not property like chairs. They're not property like cars. They're not property like carriages and horses and, and farm implements. These are people and we're going to fight a war because it will not be our way in this nation to own them any longer. We're going to fight over it. We're going to spill blood between mothers and fathers and fathers and sons and cousins and uncles and aunts. We're going to split families over this issue. And we're going to determine that from this moment forward, every person will fall under the rights and protections of the Constitution, regardless of the status of their permanent tan. And now, here we are, it's, it's an identical positioning because in order to believe in abortion, you must first dehumanize the baby. You have to say it's, a, uh, it's, it's an embryonic pulse. That's what one of the newspapers said about unborn children. They said, oh, it's embryonic pulsing. Here, let's, let's, let's listen to that audio. It's number two. This is the New York Times. They didn't, the author didn't want to call it a fetal heartbeat because we call the legislation that bans abortion after a heartbeat is detected heartbeat legislation, heartbeat laws. He, didn't, he thought if people hear heartbeat laws, they'll think, well, that makes sense. Don't kill it if it has a heartbeat. So I'm going to call it embryonic pulsing number two. The left calls itself the party of science, but at this point that seems more like a sarcastic description than anything else. Consider the issue of abortion. If you cared about science, you would have been following the remarkable advances in ultrasound technology over the past 40 years. We know incalculably more about the developing child than we did in 1973 when Roe v. Wade became law. Scientifically, the early 1970s were the dark ages. Look at the prenatal images available today. Go ahead. Seriously, assess them for yourself. Is that just another piece of flesh, like a spleen or an appendix? Look at the picture. No, it's not. It's a human being, obviously. And it's far too obvious, actually, for the purposes of the left. The abortion lobby doesn't want you to think about the reality behind their slogans. You might be horrified if you thought about it. So once again, they are suppressing science. Lawmakers in Louisiana just passed a bill banning abortion after doctors can detect a fetal heartbeat. The New York Times didn't want you to know that. They were worried you might agree with it. So their propagandist, a man called Alan Blinder, removed the term fetal heartbeat entirely from his story and replaced it with the phrase embryonic pulsing. Haven't heard that term before? Well, keep in mind that embryonic pulsing is not a scientific term. You won't find it anywhere in medical literature. It has no place in journalism. It is pure nonsense. Pure nonsense. So, you know, just know that the reason why the numbers have flipped and so many Americans, especially those who are in the millennial generation, are now coming to the position that, you know, this isn't right. Abortion on demand isn't the way we should be going here, that we need to limit abortion. We need to reverse it. We need to do whatever we can. The reason that's happening is because of science. Back in the 70s, it was, it was like the dark ages for scientific discovery. Now we have 3D ultrasounds. Now we can tell exactly what that 13-year-old girl, bless her courageous warrior heart, what she was saying. We know it's true now. 
Most children are introduced to their siblings in a picture of that sibling that then gets posted on a bulletin board or put in a frame or taped to their, you know, stainless steel refrigerator. And they know that what's in my mom's tummy is my sister or my brother and it's growing and it's alive. And, and in just a few short time, you know, months, I'm going to have a baby. We're going to have a new baby here. It's never, well, mommy has a fetus in her stomach. It'll be a baby once, once she gives birth. No. And so for kids who've grown up and that's their reality and they've always known that there's a baby in there, it is ridiculous to say, well, it's a baby if you want it, but if you don't, it's a choice. So thank God for technology. Thank God for science. For people who say that Christians aren't in favor of science, that we're unscientific, that we ignore scientific realities. What about embryonic pulsing? You know, that is your answer. Whenever someone says, oh, you're a Christian, so you don't believe in science, embryonic pulse. You pro-abortion, embryonic pulse. You go ahead and take your made up terms. I'll stick with the science and the word of God. We have both on our side, by the way, just just in case anybody's wondering. All right, so I want to flip over to these next two stories. We're going to pivot really quickly here. Um, I mentioned, I actually talked about it a little bit yesterday, Atlanta turning seven acres of vacant land into the largest free food forest in the country. So there's this large expanse of land over seven acres. It wasn't being used and it was actually a part of a land deal that never came to fruition. It's currently owned by the environmental agency, the conservation fund, and it's unused. So they're going to sell the land to the city of Atlanta for $157,384, which is a very precise figure. The agency came into possession of the land after it was abandoned due to a failed business venture. They didn't want it to go to waste or become more industrial property. So they held on to it and left it as it was. And what it's going to become is called the Urban Food Forest, a free food forest, which will be available to everyone completely free of charge. It will have lots of offer, lots to offer, including edible trees, shrubs, and vines, in addition to more traditional community garden beds. But it's not all about food. There'll be plenty of walking trails, public gathering spaces, and other features. Effectively, it's going to be like walking into a park, eating food from the bushes, except this is way larger than most of the, you know, standard little parks that you see on the edges of, you know, planned subdivisions and et cetera. Now, it's rumored that it's been in the works for some time now, since November of 2016, when the city accepted an $86,150 grant from the U.S. Forest Service Community Forest and Open Space Program. Now, there's still plenty more funding where they got that, Trees Atlanta has secured 121500 in funding and plans to employ two part-time workers, including a forest ranger and a community workforce educator. Now, the city's Department of Parks and Rec will be overseeing the entire property and the trees in the urban food forest. Atlanta has goals to strengthen the local food economy to ensure that 85% of the city's residents are within one half mile of fresh food access by 2021. So this urban food forest will offer plenty of food from trees, bushes, and shrubs, completely free to anyone. And it's going to become an integral part of the city as according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, around 36% of Atlanta was classified as a food desert in 2017. A quarter of the city's residents must travel, travel more than half a mile to purchase fresh produce. Now, a lot of times when people make the suggestion, the naysayers will say, well, who's going to take care of it? Well, the same people who take care of the, the parks right now. Well, how will how will you determine, you know, what gets planted there or how it gets maintained? Most community gardens have a dedicated group of people who love gardening, who work there and, and keep it up. 
And they also take from the garden as well as putting in and they share and the gardeners share amongst the beds and share strategies on how to get rid of, you know, pests and things like that. This is one of those situations where it's a win, 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 and it's not a government program. So it's sure that the private agency that's that's actually selling it to the city of Atlanta. Yeah, that's that's a little bit of government there. But turning it into this free food forest is something that's already been done in other areas on a smaller scale. It has worked. And I would rather see them doing this than just handing out more EBT cards. This is something in which more people will become gardeners because of the availability of this space that they can actually garden in. So I, I'm, I'm all for it. It's an experiment I'd love to see develop on and see how it works. If it doesn't work, you haven't lost anything because of the nature of the way that this is working out with grants and, and, and you know, all the different participants. So pivoting over to the Rage Room, I mentioned that as well. So the Rage Room allows you to smash things to de-stress. Now on this face, you might think, well, I mean, what's the harm in that? Well, it encourages people to not have self-control. The, the reason that this story to me is so crazy is because people, and the, and the woman in the video, you, you'll have to go to... You have to go to Facebook or to uh, Twitter and check out the video. She says she wants people to be able to take a swing at life. The name of the place is called Rage RVA, Richmond, Virginia. So she says sometimes you just need a place to release. You can smash cars, throw glasses, break plates. My question is why can't you just go to the treadmill, take a walk, you know, go to the gym, punch a punching bag. You have to break stuff in order to have a release. She says everyone's normal. They have normal feelings. They have normal stress in their life. Yeah, we all do have stress. But breaking stuff is encouraging a lack of self-control. And once they're done breaking stuff there, what's to say that when they get mad at home, they won't be doing the same stuff? Uncontrolled behavior begets more uncontrolled behavior, which is just silliness. We'll see what happens. She wants Rage Virginia to be a thing. Let's see what happens. I think it's a horrible idea. All right. God bless from the heartland. Have a fantastic evening. Stacy Washington.